I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you will atone! Hey there. This is your mad prophet of the airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Thursday, September the 15th in the year of our Lord 2022. Please visit my new website. Well, relatively new website, therichardserrettshow.com. Something has been weighing heavily on my mind. It has to do with this show and what I talk about on this show. And it, it occurs to me that I talk an awful lot about what's wrong with this country or this province, or the current state of our culture. And, you know, there's plenty that has gone wrong. But I don't spend enough time talking about how to fix what's broken. So let me give you an example. On Tuesday, I was speaking with Ruth Gaskowski, the homeschool advisor. Every Tuesday, Ruth comes on and we talk about homeschooling. And actually, that you know, that is a solution that we offer. A solution for parents who see public education as effectively broken. So we do offer solutions on this show, and that's one very important one, to homeschool your children. 
It's good for your child's future. It's good for the parent. It's good for the the parent-child relationship. It strengthens the family. And homeschooling produces better citizens. That's pretty clear from the data. So on Tuesday, Ruth was talking about shortages of qualified teachers in certain jurisdictions in the United States. And I think she mentioned Texas. And because of the shortage of qualified teachers in Texas, some school boards there are cutting back the school week to four days. The other example Ruth gave was Florida. Big shortage of teachers. So Governor Ron DeSantis has announced he's going to fill the gap in teachers by hiring 8,000 veterans. So if you served in the military for at least four years or were honorably discharged, if you've taken 60 college credits, that's a lot, 60 college credits, and you passed a subject area exam, Ron DeSantis wants you to be able to teach Florida students. DeSantis says those veterans who qualify will be able to teach for five years with a temporary certification while they work toward their degree. And this is being portrayed as some desperate stopgap measure. And I kind of let it go by when Ruth was talking about it. But then I started to think about it. And the more I think about it, I think this isn't a desperate stopgap measure. This this should be a new standard operating procedure. Hiring veterans, I mean, in our schools. When in doubt, hire veterans. We need to rethink entirely the education system. And I'm not not denigrating teachers who who went to teacher's college and earned a degree. But I think people, I think properly trained and, and properly vetted veterans men and women who served in the armed forces and who have earned some college credits along the way should be brought into our schools. Think of what they could contribute. These are people who understand the importance of responsibility, duty, sacrifice, courage, commitment, and, dare I say, honor and patriotism. Who wouldn't want their son or daughter to be mentored by such an individual? Veterans. What about our seniors? What about our seniors who are still desperate to contribute and to give back? Who have so much in the way of life experience and life skills that they want to share with young people? So think about an older woman, for example, teaching a, a... Forgive the stereotype. Quite frankly, I don't care. Don't forgive the stereotype. Think about an older woman teaching a class to sew and cook. Who could also share stories of her growing up in a war-torn country and how she managed to survive. So instead of warehousing our seniors because it's convenient or ignoring them, get them into the schools. Figure out a way to bring the students to them. We need a, we need, I think, less emphasis on pedagogy and more emphasis on life experiences and character and mentoring and role models. 
Now, of course, the teachers unions will object. It's not likely to happen within the public school system. The system is designed to thwart real change. It would probably be a waste of time to try and petition the Minister of Education or to speak at the school board about this. I mean, as someone very wise once said, you can't get someone to understand the problem when their whole livelihood depends on them not understanding. So forget the teachers' unions and forget the public school system. Build your own schools. Gather two dozen families together. Pool your resources. Rent out a church basement. Hire seniors and veterans to help mold and mentor your children. Yes, hire some professional teachers. And there are plenty, plenty who were fired for refusing the, ba- the vaccine. Build your own schools. Our veterans are underutilized. Our seniors are ignored and underutilized. Think about seniors who survived revolutions and wars and famines and escaped poverty and persecution. Think about what they have to teach us and our young children. Think about soldiers who fought in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. They had an epic mission over there. And then they come back to Canada. No epic mission. We can give them an epic mission to teach our young people. Do you think veterans who have defended this country are going to denigrate this country and teach our young people to hate this country? No. Do you think senior citizens who escaped communism and socialism and totalitarianism and risked everything to come here where they scraped and saved and sacrificed and made a life for their family are going to teach our young people to rely on the government or that socialism is a good idea? No, they will not. We need veterans and seniors to mentor our young people and veterans and seniors need an epic mission. Let's give it to them. But the government won't do that. Don't wait for the government unless you live in Florida and your governor is Ron DeSantis. We need to do this on our own. We don't need the government to educate our young people. Newsflash. We don't need the government to do much, in fact, except collect the garbage, repair the roads, build bridges and provide for a common defense in all other areas. Now is the time to make governments and bureaucracies irrelevant. They're not here to help. We need to help ourselves. And that's going to become increasingly clear, painfully clear in the weeks, in the months, and the years ahead. Coming up on today's radio transmission. So get this. The new head honcho, head honcho at uh, oil giant Shell is a Canadian. A Canadian now in charge of Shell Oil, except Shell wants to get out of the oil business. They want to get into wind and solar and other such nonsense. In other words, the new Canadian head at Shell Oil is there to manage the decline into irrelevancy. Dan McTagg is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, and he'll be here to discuss last order of business in the second hour. A former pilot who flew for the OPP will be here to explain how the long-standing practice of safe housing snipers, assassins, and trained killers in the GTA is connected to the increase in violent gun crimes here. Bill Hunt, not his real name, 
will expose all in the second hour. Two-thirds of Canadians say they don't trust RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky. Two-thirds. And barely half of Canadians, barely half, say they trust the Mounties. That's a big problem. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Tom Korski from Blacklock's Reporter has that story in Hour 2. This hour, Mia Ashton will be here in defense of women to discuss a bizarre court case in the United Kingdom where a trans rights activist group has told the UK court a lesbian group doesn't have the right to exist. Say what? While the uh, travel industry in Canada was being crushed during the pandemic, wouldn't you know it? Federal tourism execs awarded themselves over a million dollars in bonuses. Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is here shortly to discuss. But first, a third victim in that murderous rampage in Mississauga and Milton on Monday, not expected to survive. Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun will be here to discuss the bloody tragedy that left one Toronto police constable and one Milton businessman dead and how it all could have been avoided. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Thursday, September the 15th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Uh, we are getting an update on the investigation into uh, Monday's murderous rampage uh, that saw the murders of Constable Andrew Hong and Shaquille Ashraf. Uh, we're now learning that a second person that was shot at the MK Auto Center in Milton is on life support and not expected to survive. And we're also learning uh, that the uh, the killer, Sean Petrie, was hanging out at that Tim Hortons where Constable Hong was uh, murdered for a little over two hours before the shooting. It was as if he was waiting, waiting for this particular police officer or any police officer to uh, to happen by. Joe Warmington has the details from the Toronto Sun. Hey, Joe, how are you? Well, I'm okay. I mean, obviously, it's been a very troubling week, as you know we talked about last time, and it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. It's, it's not, not exactly an easy time for the whole city. Right. So it, um, unfortunately, it looks like the, the we're going to have a third victim, a murder victim here. Uh, obviously, our prayers uh, go out and we hope that this is not the case. But the police say that this individual who is on life support is not expected to, to survive. Um, tell me about about uh, Petri uh, hanging out at this Tim Hortons. I mean, was he waiting just for any cop to come by? That's a big question. Just before I answer that, that one, I just wanted to address that it's a 28 year old 
international student. It's so tragic because you know this student has come here and was working part time at this auto body center to help and uh, mechanic shop help you know make ends meet kind of thing. And the reason that he's on life support is that they're waiting for his family to get here from wherever he's from. They haven't said it. I mean, some people believe it's Pakistan because that's where, um, you know, uh, Shaquille Ashraf's family was from in his background, but we don't know for sure. So that's an assumption. But uh, to to answer your question, yes, I mean, it's very creepy. Uh, There were people that had seen this guy, Sean Petrie, um, sort of uh, pacing up and down for 15 minutes before he went in and did uh, pulled off this dastardly deed. Um, But now we know that for two hours and 15 minutes, he was in this red Toyota parked right outside the Tim Hortons before he went in. And so they, they do believe that he was there to kill a police officer. The question is, was it this particular police officer? And, you know, again, no one's suggesting it is, but they've got to do their due diligence, Richard, as you know. And, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, Andrew Hong hadn't been there before. I mean, I originally we thought, you know, what's the chances he just went into that Tim Hortons because he was there that day. But, he often worked and trained people out at that location near there. Um, and so he was on his way over to get coffee for, he's an instructor for the students. He was getting in one of, from what we've been told into one of those Tim Hortons kind of cardboard, you know, boxes as opposed to the individual cups. Right, he was right. going to put that in his bike. And um, what Jack Bowen, my colleague, the, the great Jack Bowen photographer, he picked up that, he actually went through the drive-thru originally, ordered it, and then parked his bike, went in to get it, and and then, you know, that's when he was ambushed and, and executed. And so the question is, did he know that he was looking for this specific officer? And this is the kind of the reason the police had this big news conference today, because they need the public's help. I mean, they've talked to three people that Petrie was estranged from in his family. He was, he's a real ghost. I mean, outside of that criminal record that we could find up to 2015, there's not a lot on this guy. We know he lived in his car. I've got some information I'm working on for my column now that, that, you know, that we can chew on another time, but I'm bringing it, I'm working on as we speak. So I don't want to kind of give it away here on the show until I get a chance to really go through it. But, but there's, there's more about what he was doing and we're going to learn more and, and try to find out that, did he have some sort of a beef, with uh, with this officer, and and he knew he'd be there. Or was it any officer? Was he going for his gun? Some people believe that he wanted a gun. I I have a hard time with that because he had a gun and he exactly. had a lot of bullets. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it almost. Know, I'm speculating, but you know, for, to go from Mississauga, you know, to this particular Tim Hortons, and then off to Milton to the MK uh, Motors to uh, to kill Shaquille Ashraf and um, and injure the, the other two. Uh, it, it seems it almost seems like he had a, a game plan, and there was some sick vendetta. You know, this I need. I want to get this person, and then I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to get that person. I'm just speculating. And I'm sure we'll find out more. Um, and Joe, I also want to ha- have you ta- uh, back on and uh, maybe in the next few days. And we'll talk about the column you're working on now. And also, again, the other day you you uh, outlined just this incredible rap sheet that this creep had. Everything from child pornography to prostitution to drugs. Uh, just a life, you know, a career violent criminal. Again, another case out there walking the streets. This tragedy was so preventable. 
And uh, this this issue has to be addressed, uh, whether it takes a, a, like a federal inquiry. I don't know what it's going to take, but people who are in positions, you know, to keep these people behind bars and are failing in that duty need to be held to account. Joe, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Just, just, uh, yeah, yeah. I just want to say quickly before you go, just a little piece of this. And then I'll, uh, the SIU has come out today and they've indicated that there was a shootout at the cemetery between between Petrie and the police. So that's something new. There, uh, it, we didn't know that. And so that's information for your listeners. Uh, they say that there was exchange of gunfire between police and him. FYI. Thank you for that, Joe. Great job, as always. All, all the best. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun. All right, when we come back, federal tourism executives awarded themselves over a million dollars in bonuses, while those in the actual tourism industry were shuttering their doors, closing down because of the pandemic. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is next with that story. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Increasingly, I, um, I have this nagging, sickening feeling that federal government workers, not all of them, many of them, too many of them, wake up every morning thinking, how can I demoralize Canadian citizens? How can I demoralize them? How can I infuriate them and frustrate them? Well, here we go again. Federal executives working for the Canadian Tourism Commission awarded themselves over a million dollars in bonuses during the pandemic while lockdowns were forcing many in the tourism industry to close their doors, to go out of business. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, joins us to discuss. Hey, Jay, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm well, I'm frustrated, I guess. I'm kind of <laughs> worn out by the it's just every day one of these stories comes out. And and, and here we go again. You know, so many of the, the the pandemic was particularly hard in the tourism industry for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, many of them have just been closed for good. And here we have these uh, federal executives in the Canadian Tourism Commission lavishing themselves with with bonuses it's one of those Marie Antoinette moments. Let them eat cake. Can you give us the details? Uh, you know, break it down for us. What kind of bonuses are we looking at? And so, yeah, far? this is, um, you know, beyond the pale here to have a sector like the tourism industry that was hurt as hard as it was one of the most hard hit industries in the whole country. Uh, and then you see the, Tourism Commission giving themselves massive bonuses. We're not just talking about 500 bucks for Christmas or something. Uh, you know, so there were 200,000 jobs lost in Canada in the tourism sector. Revenues in the sector went down by 45%. So their profits were slashed virtually in half. And yet you have executives at the Tourism Commission. Their average bonus was $32,000. Oh, bonus boy. and eighty-seven percent of those executives got bonuses. Thirty-two thousand dollars. That's about as much as some of the you know the support staff in our public schools are making. You know, and they're they're asking for a raise and they're being told no. Thirty-two thousand dollars. That and that's their bonus. 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Are you ready for a rewarding career in the electrical industry? Quality Electric of the Coastal Carolinas, QECC, is looking for qualified electricians and electrical helpers to join its Charleston team. QECC offers guaranteed full-time hours, make up to $30 per hour with possible performance bonuses and career growth opportunities. Enjoy benefits like health insurance, dental and vision coverage, 401k plans, and more. If you're a motivated, experienced electrician, this job is for you. QECC is an equal opportunity employer. For all job inquiries, send email to hr at qeccinc.com. This is just beyond, beyond disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine sitting there being the CEO at the Tourism Commission uh, deciding, you know what, we haven't had much to do this year because we've closed everybody down and, you know, we're sitting at our desks and we're taking in a salary, but people all across the country are losing their jobs because tourism has fallen through. And you know what, I think we should hand out to everybody a $32,000 bonus. I mean, the CEO actually came out and said, the tourism sector was facing a virtual collapse. We had the government, various governments, and again, you know, you can debate the merits of it, but governments came out and gave a lot of money to help support the tourism sector to keep the tourism sector open. And that is our hard-earned taxpayer dollars. And we thought that was going to keep people, um, you know, either employed or to keep them from going broke. And this was essentially what we were told by the government. It was absolutely urgent. We had to give supports to these workers. And yet at the same time, you have all these executives getting $32,000 bonuses. So taxpayers shelled out a heck of a lot of money because we were told it was so urgent and that the sector was facing collapse, which it was. And yet at the same time, you have executives in this very same sector attached to the government taking these massive bonuses. And I should add, I'm curious who those 13% of executives are who didn't get $32,000 bonuses because uh, they must be kicking themselves right now that 87% of their colleagues were luckier than they were. Right. Yeah. Maybe those, the 13%, those are the whistleblowers that, uh, that, that drew this travesty to the media's attention. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jay, hold on. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, uh, let's talk about the uh, Ford government's ballooning spending. You know, while Saskatchewan is turning a surplus in their budget, Alberta, uh, I think New Brunswick or Nova Scotia also a budget surplus. Uh, Ontario continuing to uh, to spend recklessly. We'll have that story next. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, stay th- stays with us. More to come. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. So as I mentioned, 
Saskatchewan turned a, a small budget surplus this year. So, uh, Alberta, a sizable budget surplus. Either uh, Nova Scotia or, or New Brunswick also turned a budget surplus. But here in Ontario, supposedly the economic engine of the country still languishing with a, uh, a sizable deficit and uh, spending out of control, fueling inflation. I mean, we also, we, all, we often, uh, you know, blame Trudeau and his liberals for their reckless spending and fueling inflation, which they do, but our own premier not helping the cause either. Jay Goldberg stays with us, Ontario Director for the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And uh, Jay, um, what's, the, what's the bad news on the uh, provincial front here in terms of spending? Well, it's definitely bad news. And as you said, we've just over the last few weeks found out New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, all running budget surpluses. And yet here in Ontario, we have a bigger deficit than we've ever had before. The Ford government has said in their budget uh, earlier this summer that they're expecting a $20 billion deficit, which is larger than the size of the deficit during the pandemic, which is historically bad. And yet we came out with the the numbers for the first quarter of this fiscal year today. Spending is up 8.3%. Debt interest costs are up by 17%. And spending is actually higher than they expected it would be. So we've got all these other provinces balancing the books. And we are definitely looking at another deficit well over $15 billion the way this government is going. Uh, and obviously, the interest payments are going to go up, up, up with each tick in the uh, interest rate hike, which, uh, you know, those are coming. There's no sign of those slowing down anytime soon. Uh, at some point, the interest payments on the debt are going to surpass what well, or maybe they already have what we spend on things like education, uh, policing. Uh, any idea what we're what we're spending on interest? Yeah, we are we are currently spending about $13 billion a year on debt interest. But as you said, this is going up because with interest rates going up. So we're looking at potentially within the next year or so getting to interest payments around 18 or $19 billion a year. That's double our post-secondary education budget. And, uh, you know, we could cut everyone's income tax bill. Everyone in this province could get a 33% cut in their income tax bill if we didn't have to pay debt interest. So, you know, it's a staggering number. And I think you made a very important point. You know, we, we've been very clear that when government spends and borrows billions and billions of dollars, it fuels inflation, which is leading to higher prices for everyone, which is leading to the higher interest rates. And so politicians are not doing Ontarians any favor by running these massive deficits. They may think that they don't want to make the hard decisions on this end, but it's Ontarians who are having to make the hard decisions at their kitchen tables, at the grocery store, at the gas station, because of the reckless policies that governments have been pursuing. And you're right. The Ford government is running a massive deficit, just like the Trudeau government. And so we got to call it out. It's reckless spending at both levels, and we need to see change at both levels. And we have to stop referring to our provincial government as a conservative government. There, what is the difference, Jay, between what we have now with this regime and what we had before 15 years of the uh, the reckless uh, liberal government or even, you know, the Bob Ray NDP, which I'm old enough to remember. How dare they call themselves conservatives? 
Yeah, they're anything but conservative. Uh, I believe it was the Fraser Institute. It came out earlier this summer. They had a study that showed that the Ford government spending is actually outpacing Kathleen Wynne's spending, outpacing Dalton McGuinty's spending. And yeah, you have to go all the way back to the NDP years to get anywhere comparable to what Doug Ford is doing. So he wrote into office saying the party with taxpayers' money is over. We're ending the Liberal Party 15 years of growing our province's debt to be the largest subnational unit debt in the entire world. And yet we see the Ford government come in, increase the spending right away by $5 billion before the pandemic even happened. And yeah, spending is higher under the conservatives, the progressive conservatives, than it would have been if Kathleen Wynne's budget had just been allowed to carry through for these years, increasing at the rate that she projected. So you're absolutely right. This is no conservative government. There's no question about it. Yeah. And they can't use the pandemic as an excuse. I mean, when we have other provinces turning uh, surpluses, and as you pointed out on an earlier program, all they had to do was hold the line on non-healthcare spending. Uh, I mean, they, they could even increase it, but just hold it at, well at that time before inflation took off, hold it at just, you know, around inflation levels and we, we'd be in much better shape. They couldn't even manage that. No, there should have been a clear focus on health care. You know, we looked at New Brunswick. The government there put a very clear focus on health care. Premier Higgs said, you know, it is a pandemic. I'm going to increase health care spending, but we're, we're going to keep other things as is because we simply can't afford to, you know, do something else. And he's come out with a balanced budget. New Brunswick's balanced their budget every year, including during the pandemic. And that's because they specifically focused on health care. Doug Ford is focusing on everything. The report that came out today shows that spending is up in every single sector of government. So, again, it's not just they're putting more money into health care. It's not that they're putting more money into long term care. They're putting more money into everything. And as many people have said, if your priorities is everything, your priority is nothing. And that's exactly what's happening with this government. Well, I guess we can look on the bright side, Jay. We only have a little less than four years more of this clown show. Uh, hopefully the uh, the voters in Ontario will wake up before it's too late and not uh, not reward this kind of profligate spending and this incompetency uh, with another mandate. Jay Goldberg, Ontario director, and also I guess we should say temporary uh, director for, is it the Maritimes? Uh, for the, yeah, uh, the Atlantic provinces, yeah. Atlantic provinces, Canadian tax. the pop tax out there in Newfoundland right now. So it's uh, <laughs> it's been fun. All right. Excellent work as always, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Taxpayer.com is the way, uh, website. Taxpayer.com. All right. When we come back, Mia Ashton from Cosbar. Writer for the Post Millennial. This is a strange story out of the UK. A trans rights activist group telling a UK court that another lesbian group doesn't have the right to exist. We'll have that one for you next. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Defense of Women on the Richard Serrett Show. If you needed more evidence that one of the objectives of the radical trans activist movement is to erase women, erase them, and erase gays and lesbians, here's further proof. Mermaids is a, a UK charity, and they describe themselves as 
helping gender diverse kids, young people and their families. And they're in uh, court in the United Kingdom. Challenging the uh, the charity status of another group called the LGB Alliance. And LGB exists to provide support, advice, information, and community to men and women who are same-sex attracted. Lesbians and gays. This group was formed in 2019, registered as a charity in 2021. So the Mermaids, a transgender activist group, basically arguing that the Lesbian Gay Alliance, they don't have a right to exist. Here with more, Mia Ashton. She writes for the Post Millennial, and uh, she's Cosbar's lead on child safeguard, the child safeguarding campaign. Mia, welcome back. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks. Uh, this, is a, this is a wild story. I'm not sure I quite understand what's really going on here. So why... Why would mermaids? Well, I guess I answered the question off the top when I said they want to erase gays and lesbians. But like just trying to help us understand what this case is all about. Mermaids is in court challenging the the right of the LGB alliance to exist. Basically, yes, it's a very complicated case. So in a nutshell, mermaids is a charity that um, advocates for supposed transgender children and LGB Alliance is for gay rights. Now, this case, I think, really sort of it's it's the whole conflict between the two, the LGB and the T in a nutshell. So if you if you believe in gender identity ideology, then you believe that homosexuality means to be attracted to someone of the same gender. Whereas if you are for gay rights, you believe same sex attraction. So Mermaids believes that the existence of LGB Alliance, because they advocate for same sex attracted people and they reject gender ideology and the idea that there can be male lesbians or female gay men, Mermaids believes that the LGB Alliance basically exists to um, attack transgender people because if you if you disagree with the gender identity ideology at all, they will accuse you of transphobia. So it's just that in a courtroom, and they don't believe they have the right to have charitable status because they believe that they're a, a transphobic hate group. So if you're a lesbian and and you're attracted, a, a woman is attracted to another woman. Uh, a trans activist would say, ah, but you, you should also be attracted to a, a man who identifies as a woman. And if you don't, if you're not willing to, let's say, date a man who identifies as a woman, then you're transphobic. Is that their argument? That's exactly their argument. You see, lesbians were one of the first groups in society to really see the harm of this modern trans rights movement. And that is because Males who identify as women, heterosexual males who identify as women started to invade their communities and their lesbian dating apps and their lesbian bars. And they were told that they were transphobic if they did not accept these males, heterosexual males as partners. And we've seen this in the courtroom. We've actually had an MP testify that you are a lesbian because you declare yourself one. We have had um, the head of the LGBT consortium testify that 
lesbian dating app should include male cross-dressers. We've had him say as well that it is transphobic to say someone with a female body cannot be a gay man. Um, and Hang on, just, uh, uh, my head is spinning. Can you just repeat that last one again? <laughs> So he testified under oath that he yes. believes it is transphobic to say someone with a female body cannot be a gay man. Because, of course, we have we have females who identify as men and therefore they're heterosexual females attracted to men and they think they are gay men. And gay men will, will be banned from dating apps for specifying males only. Oh, I can't even I can't even process this. I can't even process this. Uh, so then I suppose uh, by extension, as a straight male, if I were to say that I am not attracted to a biological male who identifies as a woman, then I, too, am transphobic. You are, you see, but you are spared the most of the, the backlash because most trans-identified males are heterosexual. Ah. So they're not interested in you, I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, are, are gays and lesbians, I, I, I hate this, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, you're one community, one group, late gays and lesbians, but I'm saying, are, 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 they, are they starting to wake up to this, What's going on? Because they have been, in, in many ways, allies to the trans activist movement, have they not? In the, it's hard to say. They're not a monolith, of course. So no. in the UK, we have, I think, a large and enormous number of the LGB community now are awake to this. I think perhaps in Canada, we're still more in the, okay, well, we'll just be kind and, and accept. But there is no LGBT community. It needs to be said that the two are in direct conflict with each other. LGB is same-sex attracted and T believes same-sex attraction is transphobic bigotry. So the ones who go along with it are going along with it to, to be kind. No other reason. I'm just going to repeat that in, in, my, in my head out loud so that I... So same-sex attraction is considered transphobic bigotry. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Mia, thank you for sorting that all out. Um, oh, one last point. How is this court, this court case um, going? I mean, does it look like the um, LGB uh, alliance is going to lose their charitable status? Oh, no, I don't. I, I would be very surprised if that were the outcome. So what's happened is a gender identity ideology has been put under scrutiny and shown for the incoherent nonsense that it is. And the Bev Jackson and Kate Harris for LGB Alliance have been remarkable, absolutely magnificent performances under cross-examination. So I would be very surprised if it went against them. Fantastic. Another victory, another W, but sadly, it's in the UK across the pond. But we we, we watch uh, with envy from afar, and I hope some of that common sense will rub off over here, not holding my breath. Mia, always a great job. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Mia Ashton writes for the Post Millennial and uh, is also a member of uh, COSBAR, and uh, Mia is their lead on child safeguarding campaign. All right. Hour two awaits. Don't go away. Tom Korski will be here. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Alias Bill Hunt, a former pilot for the OPP. Uh, he'll be here. He flew for them uh, for 
uh, well, almost 25 years, and he has some explosive information which may be connected to the uh, the rise in gun violence in the GTA. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Forbidding we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2. I was sorry, I was just uh, distracted sitting back and listening to the bass line in that song. I love it. I could listen to that. Isn't that a great bass line, Jacob? Do you pay attention to that? Yeah, you're a, you're a music aficionado. All right. Hour 2. You missed a lot in Hour 1, but don't despair. Still lots of great programming coming your way. Dan McTagg will be here, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. The, uh, the new head honcho at Shell Oil. Do they call themselves Shell Oil anymore? I don't think so. Well, they're getting out of the oil business, right? They're getting into the wind and solar business. Yeah, how's that going to work out for them? Uh, Well, anyway, the new head honcho is a Canadian. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So I guess they're bringing him in to manage the uh, decline. (laughs) Is there going to be a Shell Oil in 25 years? I don't know. Not at this rate. Not if they're going to pursue this nonsense wind and solar and hydrogen i guess oil is going to be with us for a very long time we desperately need it however uh dan dan mctagg will tell us everything we need to know about the uh, the new head honcho at uh, shell oil we're going to speak to a a former pilot who flew for the opp uh between 1972 and 1995 and he has some explosive revelations Uh, that it has to do with the safe housing 
of, let's call them rather unsavory characters. I guess at the behest of, we'll get the full story from uh, this gentleman. Uh, he's using an alias, Bill Hunt. Not his real name, obviously, an alias. Um, but it has to do with safe housing of rather unsavory characters in this country at the behest of, I guess, foreign intelligence organizations. So let's say they have somebody they need to get out of the country, out of England or out of France or someplace. They ask for Canadian cooperation and maybe at the request of the RCMP, uh, this person is safe housed in and around Toronto, could be a uh, an assassin. You know, some of these intelligence agencies, you, you know, they're not, they're not sitting around playing canasta. They do dirty work sometimes. So these are snipers, assassins, you know, trained killers um, who may have been recruited from, you know, the criminal underworld to do a certain task. And then they're safe housed in Toronto without our knowledge. You could be living next door to one of these characters. And uh, somehow after, you know, living over here for a generation or so, they revert to their criminal activity. And this somehow is tied into the rise in violent gun crime that we're seeing across the GTA. It's kind of a dirty little secret that nobody is talking about. But this whistleblower will, uh, will be telling us more details in a little, a little bit. We'll do a, a news not in the news segment as well coming up at this hour. I'm just absolutely sitting back and enjoying what is happening south of the border where the governors of Texas and Florida are sending these illegal migrants. Not that I, not that I endorse, you know, using uh, these poor people that are coming into the uh, flooding across the border, the unguarded border in the U.S., uh, you know, using them as political pawns is not nice. However, normally they are just being released when they come into the country in the United States, they're put on planes and buses and they're taken to jurisdictions. They don't really have a choice where they're sent. So now the governors of Texas and Florida are saying, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to, we're going to round them up and we're going to send them to so-called sanctuary cities like New York, like Chicago. And now we're seeing exactly how, how little Democrats actually care about illegal immigrants They'd like, to, they'd like to tell you that that's all they care about. Oh, the poor illegal immigrants. Now, all of a sudden, they're showing up on their doorstep. They declared themselves a sanctuary city. Why are they complaining? Florida is sending illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. That tony little community, deep blue community. Didn't the Obamas just buy a, an oceanfront property there? Little town of about 35,000. All of a sudden, they've got 2,800 Illegal migrants on their doorstep. How do you like them apples? Now maybe they'll do something about the border. You watch. All right. We have a a big problem up here with our RCMP. Barely half of Canadians trust the Mounties. This is one of our most vulnerable institutions. Half the country no longer, almost half the country no longer trusts them. Two-thirds do not trust the commissioner Brenda Lucky, Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, has the story. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, this lack of trust is is well deserved. Let's just kind of go through the litany of uh, of scandals and, um, I guess, 
as my, my kids would call it, uh, fumbling the bag <laughs> that the, uh, the RCMP have, have done over the last several years. Where, where should we start? Is it the, you know, the Nova Scotia shooting rampage? It's interesting, isn't it? And, and this is, by the way, this is not, you know, some crazy Internet polling. This is RCMP polling. This is their polling. This is their internal research. They commissioned it. They wanted the answer. I'll tell you, there's one stat. You, you remind me of it. Asked, asked the question by the Mounties pollster, do you agree RCMP are honest? Pre-pandemic, this is 2019, 69%, two-thirds of the country said, yeah, of course, I, I think my constable's honest. Now, 51%. You're down to 51%. If they're yeah. honest, Richard, it's unbelievable. Yeah, what happened? Well, let's see. There was a billion-dollar class action lawsuit for harassment. There was exposure of misconduct and their handling of the mass murders in Nova Scotia. There was their uh, deep enthusiasm for freezing bank accounts uh, in the Freedom Convoy protest. There was also in those provinces that have the Mounties as their, uh, their really the, the majority of their law enforcement outside of small, uh, you know, uh, town county uh, forces. Right. There was this really, uh, there seemed to be this over enforcement of some of the pandemic shutdowns. Did they really have to send six patrol cars? When breakaway Christian congregations were having secret prayer meetings in the woods, you know, was that really the best use of police and resources? That's the Mahdi's, and this is their legacy. Half the country, half the country says, I don't think you're very honest. If they commissioned the poll themselves, they must realize we have a big problem. Let's let's find out how bad it is, I'm guessing. Uh, It's absolutely dreadful. And it's inexplicable, let's be frank, that Commissioner Lucky is still on the payroll. When you have 35% of respondents who tell the Mounties researchers that 35% approve of their commissioner's uh, conduct, 35%, 37% don't, and 28% say, you know what, I'm not interested in in answering that question. Like you say, that's two-thirds. Who have, that's not a confidence vote. You have two-thirds of Canadians surveyed who say, I do not have confidence in the national leadership of my federal police force. That's a disaster. Oh, it is. Uh, it, Lucky has to step down. But, you know, many people sitting back and saying, well, you know, I don't have we don't have much dealings with the RCMP here in Ontario. We, that's federal. Uh, but, you know, for how many provinces actually have no provincial police? And so that's the RCMP. Well, that would be uh, what there's Sûreté uh, de Quebec and Ontario Provincial Police, Newfoundland Constabulary, but I think they still have some Maori presence there. So this, uh, you know, for sure, uh, from you know, BC is an extremely large province, Alberta, Saskatchewan is the only, uh, Manitoba, my home province, the only policing going. Right. So those are the guys who hand out the traffic tickets. But, but that's where you know Constable Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This cannot, uh, this cannot persist. You cannot have. Uh, almost half the country not trusting the uh, the police and have a I would say a healthy functioning society or a functioning democracy. Uh, they better do something about this and quick. I don't know how they turn this around, but they better do something. It's a serious problem, Richard. I, I read briefly from this is from their own report. I'm, I'm quoting: tracking reveals a decrease in the proportion of Canadians with positive impressions of the RCMP. 
there's a six-point drop in the number who think the RCMP has integrity. Wow. <laughs> that's yeah, in that one is, year. That's a big wow. That is a big wow. Tom Korski, managing editor, Blacklocks reporter, blacklocks.ca. Please support independent media. Tom, thank you as always. Thank you, Richard. All right. When we come back, a little news not in the news. The Richard Serrett Show stays with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. News not in the news. news. All right. This is just too rich. Once again, I have to hand it to uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So the southern border right now is just wide open. I mean, that's that's a total dereliction of uh, duty by the president, the commander in chief, who's sworn an oath to protect the United States and to protect its the sovereignty and the borders and uh, cackling hyena Kamala Harris. Uh, she's supposedly the border czar. As far as I am aware, she has yet, after, what, a year and uh, nine months, has yet to visit the southern border. And that's her one of her, her jobs, her tasks that she was assigned, the border czar. And illegals are flooding across. And if you're a border town in Arizona and Texas, imagine. I mean, of course, we have compassion for the people that are leaving Central America and Mexico trying to find a better way, but that's not the way you do it. It is a crime. It is illegal. Now, there, are, there is this group out there that says no one is illegal. I'm sorry, that's nonsense. It's a criminal offense. It's written in the criminal code. So if you're on the border, El Paso or some of these other towns, and, and all of a sudden you have to accommodate these, um, these migrants, they're overrunning the schools, overrunning the hospitals, and other infrastructure. They can't handle the influx. And these southern states are pleading with the federal government, please do your job. You swore an oath. Protect our border. Well, it seems the Biden administration is more interested in protecting the sovereignty of Ukraine than its own country. That's an impeachable offense, by the way. And there are eight articles of impeachment ready to go in the House as soon as the uh, Republicans overtake the, uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Now, they, won't, they will impeach President, Trump, uh, President Biden. They will impeach him. They will have the numbers, sufficient numbers, but they won't be able to convict him in the Senate because you need two, two-thirds. That's not going to happen. However, the point, getting back to the border. So what, what Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott have done is they have put these illegal migrants on buses, and planes, which is the Biden policy, and they ship them around the country, and the migrants don't get a choice. They don't get a choice where they're going. So DeSantis and Abbott have put them on planes and buses, and they have shipped them to so-called sanctuary cities that are run by the Democrats, places like Chicago. Now all of a sudden, Mayor Lightfoot is declaring an emergency, a state of emergency, because she and her city, they can't handle all of these illegals flooding into Chicago. 
Oh, but you're a sanctuary city, Mayor Lightfoot. I guess you don't care about illegals as much as you say. And here's the best part. Kamala Harris, who was recently on Meet the Press with that nitwit Chuck Todd, claiming that the border is secure. So Greg Abbott rounded up a lot of the illegals that were pouring into to his state, and he dropped them off at the front door of the vice president. Her official residence in, uh, in Washington, which is the U.S. Naval Observatory. It's a beautiful house. That's the official resident of the vice president. So the illegal immigrants showed up at her front door. <laughs> and they've also, Florida Governor uh, DeSantis has sent a, uh, a bus load, several bus loads, or maybe even a plane load to Martha's Vineyard, that idyllic little resort town for the uh, hoity-toity Democrat establishment where Barack Obama and Michelle Obama bought a, an oceanfront mansion. That's how concerned they are about the sea levels rising and climate change. What, do they spend $10 million on that palatial estate right on the ocean? Sure, they're concerned about global warming. That's for suckers. So now Martha's Vineyard has been inundated by, I believe, by about 2,800 or 3,000 illegal migrants. Keeping in mind, Martha's Vineyard, I think, population there is about 35,000. Now they're all up in arms. What are you doing, Texas and Florida? How dare you send these illegals over here? Oh, I guess you don't care about illegals as much as you say. Looks good on them. Looks good on them. It's a brilliant move. It's a brilliant move by DeSantis and Abbott. Now you watch. You watch. The Dems will now take measure or take measures to uh, to secure the border. Or at least I hope they do. All right, when we come back, is violent gun crime in this city and across the GTA, and we've seen, we've had a belly full of it, but is it somehow tied to a long-standing practice called safe housing of soldiers, snipers, and trained killers in this city. A former pilot for the OPP who flew for the uh, police service between 1972 and 1995 is here to reveal. Bill Hunt, alias Bill Hunt, has that story next. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right. Get ready to have your socks blown off. This is explosive stuff. Is it possible that the, the violent gun crime and other types of crime, drug crimes, that we're seeing across the GTA could be tied to a, uh, a practice called safe housing? The safe housing of soldiers, snipers, trained killers, assassins in and around this city. My guest, alias Bill Hunt is a former pilot for the OPP. He flew for the Ontario Provincial Police between 1972 and 1995, and he heard stuff, and he's here to reveal stuff. Bill Hunt, welcome to the program. How are you? Very good. It's nice to be here. Uh, so what were you, you were flying for the OPP. You're not a police uh, former constable yourself. What were you doing flying for the OPP? Like, what was your mission? Uh, mostly the drug squad and traffic. So you would take them up there and they would be, they would, what, tracking, tracking a suspect from an aerial position? Yeah, exactly. We would be 
we would be uh, following uh, mob, mostly mob guys and um, following their movements from the air so that they wouldn't be able to be uh, we, they couldn't detect that we were following them. OK. And you did this for almost a quarter century or uh, 25 years. Yeah. Quarter century. From 72 to 95. Right. So I guess you just you heard you heard scuttlebutt. You heard talk. Right. Or uh, is that how you came by this knowledge that. Uh, well, first, we should let me just step well, here for a moment. Step, yeah. let me, I was just sorry. Let me get you to explain what safe housing actually means. Yeah. Um, mercenary. You know, we our head of state is an absentee landlord, as you know, Richard. Mm. The British Army employs mercenaries during warfare. <clears throat> they NATO, etc. Um, when a war is over, mercenaries who become known to the enemy require protection. The best way is would be to safe house them, preferably in Canada, one of the colonies of England. And um, so they would have a home here in Toronto where they'd be safe housed. Um, we Salman Rushdie was was safe housed here in, in Toronto for on Magpie Crescent for quite some time. Is that right? Wow. Um, I, 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 so we're not I, talking necessarily about a criminal element. They, I mean, they could be a criminal element, but mainly we're talking about, as you mentioned, mercenaries. Let's say they're fighting in, yeah. right now in Ukraine. Right. Right uh, now, there's men who are fighting in Ukraine who are being used as mercenaries. Now, of course, NATO isn't directly involved necessarily. But, you know, there's such an interrelationship between these these air, armed forces that these men slide from position to position, just like people go from the government into industry and then industry back to government. The same thing is, is here. And so they safe house these men for protection. They're not criminals, but they're mercenaries. They, they're gunmen for hire that the military uses. And, and on whose authority would they be brought to Canada and housed somewhere in, let's say, the greater Toronto area? Well, that's the question uh, as far as I understand, because I wouldn't know the exact paperwork as to how this is done. I don't think it's done using paperwork. It's word of mouth. But certainly people in the British intelligence and in the British army would be would pass a person along to the in, in the authorities in England who would then speak to the, the Canadians and say, we've got a guy here that we want protected and given protection because he's been very helpful for us. He's done interrogation. He's a mercenary. He's led missions behind enemy lines. He's got purple hearts. He's, he's, a, he's a hero. And we've got to give him protection because we want him for the next battle. And, and how, you know, in the cockpit of a, um, a fixed wing aircraft as you're flying for the OPP, did you come by this knowledge? Were you ever well, actually I would flying be, some of these people to a safe house? Oh, yeah. You'd be flying them to safe houses. And I was the OPP would do joint missions with Metro Undercover Drug Squad, with RCMP. We'd be working together. I'd be working with all the different levels in, of drug squads. Uh, and, and look, Richard, it's called gangs and guns. The point is this. What happens is when these mercenaries settle in for protection in Toronto, say, I mean, these guys, now they're out of work. 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. They want to make some money. So what they do is they start to run guns. And what we've done over the since, certainly since uh, it had happened before I got there, but certainly since the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, by bringing these people as mercenaries to live in Toronto and to safe house and come and go over the years, the, the birds of a feather flock together. And so they set up a whole underground arms network. I mean, right now I could go on the streets of Toronto with you and after you give me enough money in a day or two, I'll be able to get you some shoulder arm missile to uh, surface to air missiles, <laughs> ground to air missiles. There's everything. Toronto's a haven. Where do you think these people, the only people who don't have guns are the, are the law abiding citizens, but the <laughs> criminals, they can get their hands on guns. And this is because it's an it's a network of arms dealers that's been f- fertilized and it's the ground has been sown the seeds have been sown to develop this so Toronto's known around the world as a haven for being if you need guns it's the place to go alias Bill Hunt former pilot for the OPP uh, we'll take a quick time out come back and discuss more violent gun crime in the city tied to the practice of safe housing mercenaries, soldiers, snipers, and other trained killers in our midst. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show right after this. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We are back with Bill Hunt, not his real name, former pilot for the OPP between 1972 and 1995, and Bill Hunt, Blowing the whistle in a practice called safe housing where mercenaries, other soldiers, snipers, assassins, hitmen are brought into Canada in the Toronto area and, uh, and, and placed in safe houses at the request of, I don't know, NATO or some foreign intelligence group. And uh, this. This uh, underground group somehow. um you know, eventually needing, needing, I guess, a source of income. They start drug running drugs. They start running um, guns. And this is tied perhaps to the, uh, the, uh, the rising crime we have in the city, violent gun crime. So, I mean, we mentioned mercenaries and they're not necessarily criminal, but criminal, but is there a criminal element that is also brought because we know intelligence groups often, you know, they will make deals with the devil if they have to make a deal and they hire, a, I don't know, even a serial killer. They'll do it. Uh, are we also bringing in and safe housing a real criminal element from abroad into into Toronto? 
Well, certainly because birds of a feather flock together and mercenaries who do deals to distribute guns are obviously going to be in touch with all sorts of criminal elements as well. And uh, and that just creates a whole industry here. And it's it's become entrenched in Toronto. It's deeply entrenched. And it's probably infiltrated into the police forces as well. Don't think it hasn't been in. Don't think they haven't in in uh, gotten into the police forces. Uh, you um, you provided me with some background here and, and you, you you wrote to me that there is an executive hitman in the Toronto area. So that anyone yes. coming into the area has to contact this person for permission to work in the area. Yeah, there's a code of ethics in the in all businesses uh, where there's turf and everybody has his area that he's in charge of. And before you are, if you're hired as an outside wet team to come into Toronto to do somebody, um, you've got to get in touch with the executive hitman in the area and just let him know you're in the area doing a job so that uh, you get his okay. It's just like, you know, you see this in the movie, The Godfather and Sopranos. It's, it's no different. It's the same thing. Right. This is his his territory. It's like a franchise. So so yeah. would, would this executive hitman have been brought here from another country and and offered a safe house? Well, no, the executive hitman would come up through a different route. He would be part of the, the mob and then have been uh, would come out of the out of the different mobsters and would be the top guy of that clan. He would be uh, on, on a separate level. And, and the military wouldn't have to get in touch with him to bring in people to safe house. They're not, they're not here actually doing any, they're not killing anybody. They're just here keeping a guy protected. Okay. They're just protecting. All right. So um, these uh, individuals that come into this country that are safe housed, yeah. uh, that are snipers and assassins, are they also, uh, even if they start engaging in, in criminal activity, are police here instructed to to basically turn a blind eye from these people because uh, they are- police, most of the police don't know anything about it, really. They don't have to know anything about it. But let's keep one thing in mind, Richard, that we have an army. We're building an army. And an army is a group of men who are snipers and assassins. What do you think an army is? We have a military. We have men in the military. We're teaching and training them to be assassins and to be murderers and to be snipers. You may not want to use the term murder because it's state, but let's just say that they are being trained. I know a lot of men who went who were trained to be snipers in the military. And then uh, when they left the military, couldn't get a job in ordinary life, stockbroker, plumber, electrician, whatever, and went and went joined the mob as hitmen. Right, right. So, yes. Well, that's that speaks to the the way that we treat our veterans and not, you know, um, yeah, the way we treat our Allowing veterans, we re, 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 uh, introduce themselves back into uh, into civilian life. 
Uh, so yeah, you're you're saying that some of those individuals find their their, their way into the criminal element. But it, but but, it, it, but all many of the of the men who were training at Camp Borden or anywhere else in North in in Canada to be military soldiers were training them to be snipers. Especially now, the way the way uh, warfare is conducted, the order of battle on the battlefield. You know, we use a lot of snipers in the Canadian sure. Army. Right. But there are snipers and they and, you know, the vast, vast majority of them come back and and, uh, um, you know, get back into society. Uh, and but it's pretty hard for them to get back into society. Very, very difficult. To, it's very difficult. Many right. of them, not all of them, but many of them just drop out, and go back right. into the life of crime. Right. But this this idea of safe housing. Certain right. individuals. Uh, and, and to what extent do you think that that is responsible for the what the kind of gun violence and, and that we're seeing across? Well, well, it's not necessarily responsible for it, but it's allowing that entity, that person who lacks identity, who starts wanting to get, get a gun. It makes it so that the, the guns are very, very available to him. Last question. Uh, I mean, you're speaking out about this. And again, you flew for the OPP for for nearly 25 years. Uh, Obviously, other police. uh, Well, you're not a police officer, but others that flew with you and are are aware are aware of this. Why are why is no one else speaking about this? Why is no one writing a book or or reporting about this in the Toronto Sun or the Toronto Star? Good question. I really don't know. I really don't know, but it is a subject that's not discussed a lot. However, it really has a significant influence on the ability to get guns in Toronto. And when you see that there's all these gun violence, gun violence, just remember, this is come is the culmination of decades upon decades of bringing mercenaries into Toronto and letting them safe house here and protect them and let them go about doing their work. It's an amazing story. Uh, Bill Hunt, not your real name. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Thank you, Richard. All right. When we come back, a Canadian is taking the helm of the global energy giant Shell. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, has that story next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. Lebanese Canadian Wael Sawan has been tapped to head Shell Oil's head of integrated gas and renewable renewables division. Sawan 48 oversees Shell's growth into low carbon energies as well as its giant gas business. Uh, here with more. Our good friend from Canadians for Affordable Energy, President Dan McTagg. Dan, how are you? I'm fine. Good to be here again, Richard. Is this a little bit like being the uh, the captain of the Titanic? I mean, uh, to be heading uh, Shell Oil as it as it moves away from oil into sun and wind and hydrogen. Well, his timing uh, is going to be interesting. Uh, part of the fact that he is uh, Canadian or has connections, is dual citizen, um, you know, comes at a time in which uh, those who thought the this transition would be inconsequential and uh, have been very militant in terms of their push and have, uh, you know, gone after major companies like his, BP, Exxon. Um, I think we find ourselves in a bit of a, a reality moment where 
uh, renewables and that shift may have to be postponed uh, as reality begins to sink in. The renewables aren't up to the standard. They're not up to the game. And that uh, too quick a shift uh, could be a problem. The LNG side is interesting. Of course, Shell is one of the biggest players, if not the biggest, in terms of LNG production in the world. But uh, Canada obviously missed the boat on that. I'm probably sure that the new chairman will probably recognize the fact that Canada could have, should have, and didn't. Um, But at the same time, uh, maybe uh, having to put a bit of water with our wine and to recognize that uh, the days of fossil fuels are far from over. Quite to the contrary, they haven't really begun. Do you think that we we, we would ever get an admission like that from the new CEO of, of Shell, Sawan, is he, is he going to, would he ever make a, an announcement that, listen, we're going to have to put the brakes on this transition. It's simply not a good time. Or are they basically willing to double and triple down if need be? Well, I think there are companies like anyone else are prepared to say, all right, you've got activist court, uh, activist court decisions, a case of Shell last year, a Dutch court saying you have to do more for emissions. You are uh, one of the creators of emissions. Therefore, you must get this all done and you must do so, you know, post haste. Um, now, a same country that uh, is finding itself in the grips of a crisis because the same kind of woke approach is uh, is uh, undermining, uh, you know, its agricultural sector. Um, you're, you're, Holland, being part of Europe, will find itself very quickly without natural gas and the products that it's going to need to get through the winter. I think there is probably going to be an opportunity for, yeah, let's call it what it is, a great reset that what you thought was going to happen in terms of your push towards renewables, which we understand to be without government subsidies, massive fat tax subsidies and support is irrelevant, useless, uh, unreliable, uh, and frankly, uh, uh, likely to bring further damage uh, and uh, reduce the human condition. I think Shell, like many other companies, is going to have to sit back and uh, Imagine that the world will probably change in terms of opinion, but at the same time realize, hey, you don't want us to produce oil. You don't want us to produce natural gas. No problem. You pay for it. And if people didn't think that that was going to be a factor this summer, you ain't seen nothing yet because winter is going to be worse. And those who have the minority of people who've been interlocking elites telling the world that they can't use fossil fuels because of some kind of disaster in 10 years, which we've heard about time and time and time and time again, uh, they, they, because they never happen. The reality is that I think uh, these companies are just going to sit back and count their cash and say, you don't want us to produce, we won't, but you know what the demand is for the products that we have. And so, uh, you know, choose your poison, uh, you know, woke world. And I use that word woke. Apparently our environment minister doesn't know what it means. He's probably unfamiliar with the criminal code as well when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> when it comes to trespassing uh, and mischief, which of course he has been charged for. Uh, nevertheless, I digress. I think it's going to be an interesting eye, op- eye-, eye opener for Shell. It comes at a time in which reality uh, is like a ball peen hammer hitting these guys right between the eyes and saying it's time you smarten up and realize that reality of fossil fuels needed for the foreseeable future uh, and uh, the ability for us to make ends meet, affordability, staying warm, having food on our table. Uh, you know, it certainly takes a massive precedence over trying to be cool and trendy and uh, saying that the world is coming to an end, which none of us believe. At right. least none of us who are serious. Yeah, it, it's um, it's going to be a very bleak winter, as we've talked about in Europe uh, this year. 
I was reading yesterday where Germany, over the last 20 years, in their, you know, suicide mission to uh, net zero, in the last 20 years, they've invested 400 billion euros of taxpayer money uh, into wind and solar and renewables. And all they have to show for it, 2%, 2% of their energy is produced by, uh, is produced by sun and, and, uh, and the wind. So over a trillion dollars globally has been invested in the past 20 or 30 years. And we've gone from 83% of production through uh, energy use from uh, uh, from uh, fossil fuels to 81. Imagine that. I mean, look, it, it, it's not possible. These people live in a world of magic and make-believe. And the sooner we get to, around to recognizing that, I think the sooner we can get to stopping despots like uh, Vladimir Putin, who are playing us for fools, along with his friends in China. And apparently... India, which uh, doesn't seem to have a problem with buying uh, controversial oil from Russia. Right. Well, I I was saying yesterday, uh, Dan, that, yes, Putin is a thug. He is clearly the aggressor here. However, he may have, if there's any silver lining to this horrible tragedy, he has woke, awakened the West and particularly Europe to the folly of, uh, you know, this net zero nonsense. Uh, I mean, begrudgingly, we have Putin to thank for that. Well, he's raised that and demonstrated uh, that uh, we have uh, forsaken and turned a we we looked a gift horse in the mouth. And there is no greater country in the world that has more to share and blame than Canada. Putin is number eight in terms of his country's provable reserves of oil and gas. Canada is number three Mm. for us to have sat on the sidelines and waited for this kind of day to happen is is inexcusable uh, and laughable. But you know what? If I hear anybody saying there's not enough money to pay for hospitals, to pay for health care, to pay for our social programs and uh, things are not going well, well, then you have to look at why you actually voted liberal and NDP and green in the last election, because you brought this upon yourself and the world is now a more dangerous place because of our short sightedness. Now, I can't blame people individually for that, but I sure as heck can uh, go after their demagogues who push this kind of agenda and are still pushing this agenda despite reality. Uh, as I said earlier, hitting us like a ball peen hammer between the eyes. Yes. And unfortunately, this winter in Europe, it will have tragic consequences. People will die as a result. Dan, thank you as always. Take care. Good talking to you again, Richard. Bye bye. Dan McTagg, president, Canadians for Affordable Energy, affordableenergy.ca. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan and Jacob. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. 
call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.